Hey guys, and welcome to episode seven of the Surf Coast Creatives Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Hucker. With me today, hostess with the mostess, Jess Mellington. Welcome, Jess. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me. Good to have you here. Beautiful, sunny morning here in Torquay. It's been a bit dreary, but clearing up now. Very excited about today's episode, something a little bit different for our listeners. We've got the founder of Wildlife Exposure in Torquay, Mr. Xavier Morello. Welcome, Xavier. Welcome to my place. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Oh, it's great to be here. It's a little bit of a, a sanctuary out here. I can't believe it. Do you want to give us a quick rundown of exactly what you do? Yeah, for sure, Ben. Yeah, we um, run an interactive wildlife education business that's mobile. So while we have a little sanctuary here, it's basically just a private sanctuary where we keep all our animals when they're not out on the road. So we go out to schools and kinders and events and anywhere really that will have us and uh, try to be advocates for wildlife by giving people that opportunity to meet uh, the real thing, the real animal right there in their classroom or even home or wherever they might be, you know, trying to create a connection with wildlife for people. Yeah, it's a great little business and you gave myself and Jess a quick little tour just as we arrived today. We're, we're going to head out, actually, we're going to divide this podcast today into two parts. So part one, we're going to talk about business and mindset and creativity and how you started and the rest. And then part two, we're going to head out into the sanctuary and have a couple of, have a look at a couple of snakes. <laughs> Jess's favourite. <laughs> you look worried. Jess is packing herself. <laughs> Jess is leaving as we speak. Um, I might miss that part, but no, no. Hopefully you'll trust me enough by then. Yeah. yeah. Maybe just come in for the part with the saltwater crocodiles. Yeah. But we'll get to that for part two. But first of all, how did this all begin, the wildlife exposure? Ooh, as a kid, you know, I feel like I probably never really have grown up and I look back at, you know, what I was interested in as a kid and that's where it began, you know, playing in the garden, finding frogs and lizards and bugs and just becoming just mesmerised and enchanted with nature. Um, and then I've been quite lucky. I had a lot of support and nurturing that interest by my family, my mum, um, my uncle who gave me a blue tonguey fan in the timber yard, you know, <laughs> and I looked after as a young boy. And I guess um, from there, it just, yeah, it was always an interest. I mean, I went and did photography because I used to take a camera around with me every and photograph nature and wildlife as I grew older. I was sort of a wannabe nature photographer. And um, from there, I uh, went and worked in the um, uh, uh, eco-education businesses, so like ecotourism. Mm -hmm. So I um, went and did, sorry, RMIT. I did a bit of uh, f uh, photographic, um, I've just lost my mind here. I photographic studies. Yeah, I thought I'd be fine. And now, yeah, so yeah, <laughs> photographic studies. Um, basically, yeah, did a, a diploma in photography and painting, of yeah. all things. And then uh, that, nature was always my muse. And so painting and drawing animals and photographing them. Uh, but there's not much work in, in you know, I couldn't generate it into an actual you know, work. So I went and started working in the ecotourism industry and I moved down to the beach actually. I moved to Point Lonsdale, that was my connection with here. So coming down and living there for I think it was like three or four years and worked on dolphin boats and worked volunteering at the Marine Discovery Centre. Cool. Yeah, the ocean was a huge passion of mine. And what age was this when you moved to the coast? Yeah, I probably jumped ahead a bit. By well, that age, I was about I was 20. 20. Yep. You grew up in Melbourne, so yep. whereabouts in Melbourne? Uh, Warrandyte yep. I grew up in, yeah, in Park Orchards, that area. 
So on the fringe there, a bit of nature and bushland around that area? Well, it's part of the Green Wedge, yeah. So yep. we were really lucky growing up. Yeah, I always had bush around me. The Yarra River was uh, you know, part of my backyard. So yeah, we, all, we lived on a few acres actually. Mum and Dad had a property where we had um, goats and chickens and oh, yeah. Yeah, I was able to keep blue tongues and we had dogs and cats, we had everything, yeah. Just on the subject of blue tongues, mm-hmm. we, I grew up in Ballarat and we were very, very close to the bush. And there's quite a few blue tongue lizards out the back, mm. and I tried to pick one up one day, and it attacked me. Like, yeah, it tried to bite my finger off, and I've been afraid of blue tongue lizards ever since. I thought they were <laughs> nice, cute little well, animals. How did you go with the blue tongue lizard? I don't know if there's a name for that phobia. I don't know. Uh, yeah, the blue tongues. <laughs> yeah, I had a few close encounters as a kid, you know, where you're um, trying to pick them up and things, and you find them in the garden. But yeah, luckily I've got all my fingers. Blue tongues. You might lose a fingernail, but you'll be yeah. right. You'll be right, Ben. What about <laughs> <laughs> they, they howl at you, like a, they hiss, yeah, a they hiss. can hiss and yeah, yeah, poke their tongue out. What about those um, frill neck lizards? Have you the had any frillies. of those? Or? Yeah, well, I've worked with them um, later on in my career when I worked uh, for another company. I worked with frill necks, yeah, but yeah. Um, I've seen them in the wild when I went up yeah. up north with Madeline and my wife on road trips, and yeah, they're quite impressive things. Yeah. So I grew up in Warrandyte, moved to the Point Lonsdale. So how long did you work in ecotourism? Four years, sort of on and off there. Um, and again, it was a seasonal thing. You know, Victoria's pretty seasonal, so summer, work on the dolphin boat. Uh, did a little bit of rock climbing, assisting for adventure companies and stuff, and kayaking, surf coaching. I had like four or five jobs on the go. Yeah, and then I'd do a bit of concreting and fencing and whatever else I could do. So you're a uh, jack of all trades? Jack of all trades, you'd surfboards for a little bit, you know, fixing dings and doing yeah. Sort of, yeah, yeah, with the friends, I did a bit of everything. Painting surfboards, because I love my painting and art and stuff as well. Yeah, sounds like a really active lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. You you're, sound like a proper outdoorsman. Yeah, well, I, I tried to be, yeah. So when I wasn't um, working, yeah, I'd be trying to find waves, go surfing or diving or yeah. photographing animals, going around. What do they used to call me in Point Lonza? Some of the guys called me the out there lizard man. And <laughs> see me in the dunes taking photos of lizards. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, and were you the type of bloke who could be, you know, dropped into the wilderness in Tasmania and you'd survive? Oh, I like. Are you that think, type of guy? I'd like to think so, but a bear grills, you know, sort of. Oh yeah, I'd go like out to, there with a knife and. I'd like to think so, but I don't know. I'm pretty. I, don't know, I had a mate actually. I used to talk about doing that in the Otways when I was living in Lonnie. I go, I'll go down the Otways and I'm going to live down there in the bush. And he goes, Mate, you'll die of an ingrown toenail within a week. <laughs> <laughs> so, there might be some truth to that. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I'm that hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll get the Steve Irwin question out of the way early yeah. in the podcast. What sort of influence has he had on your business, on your life, on, on you? Did you ever meet him? Yeah, I uh, did once. Yeah, very briefly. I gave him a high five. Yep. Yeah, went at his park when we were visiting there with a mate and um, he was riding, riding around his motorbike. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I just ran up to him and go, hey, high five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, definitely a huge influence on this industry. I mean, yep. um, wildlife conservation and wildlife awareness. I mean, he's been a huge, yeah, force in that basically. And I think uh, kids and myself uh, growing up, you know, watching him and, yeah, seeing what he did, unreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you would say that he's been unequivocally a good thing for the industry? Yeah, 100%. You yep. know, people argue there's a lot of, um, you know, I've, I've actually met people in the industry that haven't liked him and things, but, um, you know, that's like everyone's got their own personality. He's a bit over the top, wasn't he? But that was what everyone loved about him. And Yeah. No, I think you can't really fault that. No one's, no one's perfect. Everyone's got their, yeah. you know, 
but he, yeah, what he did, you know, drawing attention to it. Yeah. Um, no question, he was passionate about it. So yeah, if I can take a piece of that, and yeah, yeah no, definitely a very a lot of admiration and respect for what he's done there for sure. And his business model, obviously, bringing people to his nature reserve and showing them around, and you operate a lot differently. So you talk about interactive education. Mm-hmm. You mean interactive as in going to schools? Or do you mean interactive as in doing lots of videos and posting them online? Oh, more actually taking the actual animal, an animal that we say hand-reared, it's sort of tame, used to people, so the animal's comfortable around people and taking that into a classroom. So interacting with that animal, with yep. kids, in a safe setting where that, you know, kids are feeling comfortable uh, and we'll take a selection of animals into a kinder and interact with those kids. Personally, myself, interacting with them, obviously getting to know them and making them feel comfortable and and trying to inspire them to to have an appreciation and also an understanding of, of that animal. And you can re- you can look in books and, you know, you can go to zoos and look at them from a distance, but when you've actually, especially children, if you see something and you touch something, you smell something, it becomes a, it, it's burnt into your, your memory forever. Yeah. And so I think it makes a real impact on those kids that we do see, yeah. Which begs the next question. Coronavirus, schools have been shut down and obviously a lot of restrictions in place. So that's, that's had a big impact on your business in 2020. Yeah, yeah, it's just definitely been a shock to the system this year. We were gearing up for a big year and, um, yeah, that just all stopped, basically. Um, and understandably, you know, it's pretty devastating what's happening around the world. We've been lucky here, but still, uh, yeah, our business basically just stopped. We are probably one of the early industries just to have everything stop um, and probably one of the later industries to come back online too, I think. So, yeah, we've... Um, been lucky that we've got this beautiful environment we live in and we've been able to enjoy that and enjoy spending time with my kids and the family and but yeah I had to get online a bit so yeah I noticed you got a YouTube channel so you're making the switch to online learning yeah we're offering everything we do normally online yeah uh, but it's been tricky because I guess like I said what we do is about giving people that yeah. you know that actual tactile experience uh, so to put it you know, on a screen, it's not really what we're about. But look, we're probably doing a couple a week online live chats. We've done some pre-recorded modules where we record, you know, a, a, a topic and display, talk about those animals. And they've been they've been good, but um, the YouTube channel was another way for us just to get some content out. So free content too for people so that they could, you know, keep busy and educated and connected to nature. Because like I said, it could have all born out of the idea we're here in this beautiful environment. Some people aren't, they're you know, in small apartments or yeah. small backyards. So sharing with them what we're able to enjoy here. Uh, and also something fun with my kids. So I had my yeah. kids involved was fun. Yeah. yeah. So you got two kids. Yeah, yeah, Luca and Jacques. Big yeah. shout out to Luca and Jacques and your partner as well. And Madeline. Madeline. Yeah, yeah. she's the uh, driving force you know, behind the scenes of the business online and on the computer managing all the clients and keeping staff organised and myself yeah. organised. Yeah. <laughs> when you're not surfing, trying to get you away from the surf. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, No surfing today, Zave, got to do some work. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I thought I was the boss. but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the ordinary course of business for you is getting out there, going to schools, educating them about wildlife, conservation and all the rest. How do you go about doing that uh, when conditions are normal? How do you go about spreading the word? Is internet, your website, a big part of that, or oh, is yeah. it word of mouth? How do we get the work? How do we get people knowing about yeah. us, you're asking? Yeah, so, yeah. And how old is the business now? 
Uh, your wildlife exposure is nine years. Nine years? Yeah, nine years old. And uh, yeah, online, really. Online's massive. So just having the website, websites having the right information there that people can find us. So we've got, um, yeah, a great web designer and person that works on that for us. And uh, originally starting out, uh, mailing lists. So we did a lot of mailing lists. Uh, getting contact, getting mailings for schools, kinders, and just going boom, blanket marketing. Um, to, but now it's largely online and repeat customers, so people that we've had coming back every year. Yeah, cool. So those mailing lists, did you purchase those back in the day? Yeah, or? yeah, just yep. buy mailing lists, yeah, all schools and kinders in Victoria. Yep. So mailing lists. And uh, a bit of advertising, early days, there was a lot of print. The print's sort of dying off now, but yep. nine years ago when we started, there was a lot of print and sort of educational gazettes and magazines and stuff, so we advertised in some of those. Um, yeah, luckily, look, I was in the industry previous to my business, so I worked in the industry for probably all up now about 16 years, so working as a wildlife demonstrator for other companies, and so people had, had seen me around. I, I was sort of probably, I don't know, I'm probably one of the oldest wildlife presenters getting around Melbourne, I'd say, uh, or been doing it for a fair amount of time, so people had seen me before, so when I did start my business and get a blanket marketing out there, people would ring me up and go, hey get you in so it was great yeah that's cool so nine years you with the exception of jeff crow from bells bridge brewing you're probably the most established business that we've spoken to so congratulations oh, on your success today um nine years can we go back to when you started so yeah. obviously you were doing six different jobs at the well, time well there's a transition there because we skipped a bit i was in lonnie and doing all those jobs uh, and i came back from Lonnie to Melbourne actually to work in this industry. So um, my mum of all people was trying to get me back because I was doing six different jobs and just, you know, she, she said, come back to Melbourne and, you know, you know, get a permanent full-time job, you know. So <laughs> turns out she found one for me and uh, goes, here, apply for this. So I did and it was with a company very similar to my own and I worked there for around eight years, nine years, I think it was, something like that. Um, yeah, so I kind of learned a lot of what to do and what not to do and how I would want to run a business similar to that. So yep. yeah, and after doing that for a substantial amount of time, I met my wife Madeline while I was doing that. We bought our first home, uh, had our first child Jacques, and so I was living in Warrandyte um, and she was a flight attendant um, when, we, when I started my business. So we started my business just before uh, Jacques came along, my first son, and she was a, my, my wife Madeline was a flight attendant while I was Establishing the business. So yeah. she was back and forth from Warrandyte to Tullamarine? Yeah, yeah. And then to Bangkok and yeah. Bali and everywhere, yeah. So and then come up with the idea for wildlife exposure not long after that? So that started yeah. in Melbourne, wildlife yes, exposure? Yeah, yep. yeah, we started up in Melbourne. Yeah, you know, sort of got to that point where I sort of felt like I needed to have some autonomy, some control, and, and have my own vision of what I wanted it, it, it to be. So, um, yeah, started up Wildlife Exposure. Madeline was a huge support, so that was great. And uh, yeah, just went went really well, really quickly. I think you mentioned Steve Irwin and the conservation. It's a real, now more than ever, I think, you know, the environment is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us to be able to connect kids to nature was a huge plus. And also, uh, we're an option for schools. In, they don't do excursions. They can have an option where we can come to that as well. Yeah, so that's why it took off. And what point did you come back to Torquay? So obviously, there must have been a yearning to come back to the coast at some point. Yeah, so living in Melbourne was great. And in Warrandyte, where I sort of grew up in a family, 
Um, but on the weekends, I'd be, you know, looking for waves and driving off. And so, yeah, and yeah, yeah. And also, I love diving. I love the ocean diving and fishing and stuff. So we moved back down. We had a plan, five-year plan before the kids sort of hit school to try and re-establish down the coast somewhere. We've got friends in Lonnie and we looked Ocean Grove, that sort of region. But Torquay was a growing growing town, as we know. It's booming. So we had a five-year plan. We started looking around and we looked at this property, first place we looked at, and it just screamed at us. And yeah. It, yeah, it was meant to be. Oh, it's a so, magnificent property too. Did you mention before, is it it's a bit of a dedicated wildlife corridor? Our property is, yeah. So you could say, um, I guess when they developed it, they have to then, it was you know, trying to responsible environmental planning, leaving some land for wildlife to move through. And so basically we're part of that corridor. So we've got a big uh, um, protected overlay at the back of our property and we can't develop it or do anything with it. And that just suited us to a T because it's basically our own little piece of nature right there. Uh, and it joins onto a couple of others. So a few of our neighbouring uh, properties have this same um, overlay on their property. So it links animals through so they can travel travel through different environments and um, down to the creek as well. Yeah, it's a very cool area. And we, you took us, myself and Jess for a little walk just bef- uh, before we started the podcast. And you mentioned the previous owner was a keen bird watcher and he saw... 99 species of bird or something and you mm. spotted the hundredth yeah the hundredth species that was um, yeah it's pretty amazing he uh i can't believe that like a hundred different species yes. of bird in your backyard yeah i know when he sent me that because i said dave send me the list send me, send me the list so he sent me the list and yeah you, you read through it and yeah there's animal there's birds on there that i was surprised that he'd seen here yeah but um it's not surprising that when you walk around and, and you see the sorts of plants we've got we've got these uh Prickly, so it's called Acacia paradoxia. It's a really prickly, nasty bush, but it's native, so the birds love it, especially small birds. So they're all nesting in there, protected from cats and foxes. They love it. Yeah, I think that's the bush I grabbed onto at one point and <laughs> it just yeah. went straight through my finger. I was a bit too late, wasn't I? Yeah, don't grab that bush, it's too late. <laughs> um, still got the marks on my thumb. No. Yeah, it'll sting. Yeah, they break up, you get little tiny... Yeah, a little I'll ask my boys and all about it. Don't go down the back. It keeps them out of there, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, so... Made the move from Melbourne, uh, settled into Torquay on the coast. Obviously, you love your surfing and your outdoors. Was the business quite established by the time you got here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we had um, a couple of staff members. So uh, Madeline, obviously myself, and Brandon. He was set up in Melbourne. So yeah, we did have uh, a very substantial client base in Melbourne. But we did actually travel down this way a bit for work from Melbourne too, and even. Um, the western side of uh, the Westgate, so all Hoppers Crossing and Werribee and that whole region that's really growing. Yep. So I figured, well, there's probably enough work down this side to, to warrant coming coming down and try to establish the business down here. And I think I mentioned to you before, you know, I've got that, that mantra where you want to you want to live where you want to be when you're not working. So that was what I was trying to do, create a lifestyle for myself and my family by coming down here. Yeah, it's very cool. So making a lifestyle where you don't work, so most of your work is still in Melbourne? Yeah, probably I'd say two thirds is that like around Melbourne and the other and this other side, yeah. So but we are building down this way. Yep. So I, it could always be 50-50 at this point. Well, when I'm saying the Westgate Bridge being the middle ground and <laughs> yeah. say, you know, both sides. So yeah, but we also go regionally as well. So we do sometimes so Ballarat, do, Bendigo, yeah, those places. Yeah, we do. Um, and even sort of, I do like little overnight stays some places. I go up to the the, the Murray and um, stay in places like Kahuna and mm-hmm. visit a few of the kinders in some regional areas as well. 
Uh, I go to Warrnambool, so I travel down to Warrnambool. I actually stay in Warrnambool when I go. And stay do, you there. Go, do you go diving in Warrnambool around, around uh, there? I have, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a spectacular dive. Yeah, I've there. heard it's good there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the maze out of near the old old um, aquarium they had set up there and yeah. out through the islands and, yeah. yeah. Bit of whale watching down at Warrnambool? Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, when I've been down... Um, it's just after the whales have left, usually my trip is booked in. So yeah. I um I kind of miss them, but I have seen them before down there. Yeah. Just, yeah, off, fair, fair way off though. Mm. I should mention, last night I was surfing at Ocean Grove, surface pumping, drifted a little bit too far out the back. Yeah, I was at Ocean Grove out quite deep and drifted out a little bit and I could see quite a big shadow just lurking in the, in the ocean. I Ooh. thought, what in God's name is that? And then next minute, um, this giant whale just popped up and out of the water. I've never seen anything like it. I was did it probably, actually jump, like breaching? Uh, it didn't jump. It did its sort of roll over right, yeah, and then yeah. back in. didn't breach. Um, don't know what sort of whale it was, but I was about 20 feet away and absolutely crapped my dax yeah, to begin with. And yeah. then realised it was a whale, so <laughs> tried to stay and watch. And I think it went up to the point at Barwon Heads and kept on going. So it was magnificent. Yeah. It's um, yeah, well that's it, it, those experiences with nature you can't mm. you can't beat them, I mean, and that's what we're about too, I guess. Well, we don't bring whales in, but, <laughs> but just yeah, seeing an animal and having an experience. You can't beat an experience with nature oh. out in nature, like an animal where it should be, and that's what I'm all about. Mm. But you know, we don't live in that world. Some people don't live in that world and don't have those opportunities. So be able to take the animals. Yeah. yeah, I saw a big fin one day at the point at Torquay as well, and again, crap myself. And thought, what is that? Cause... There's heaps of sharks in Torquay. Yeah. Heaps, yeah. Not a good place to surf. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I quit surfing because I'm sorry. We were keep talking the, about... Just keeping the crowds down, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> lots and lots of sharks, Torquay. Yeah. Two rows, stay away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no... So, yeah, as you say, that interaction with wildlife, you don't forget things like that. Mm. Like I saw... So the massive fin turned out to be a massive dolphin, and I couldn't yep. believe how big the dolphin was. You know, you see little yeah. cute and cuddly dolphins uh, on movies and stuff, yeah, but you really don't realise how big they are yeah, until they, you see them in the water. Yeah. And then again, that whale was just magnificent. So impressions like that, they were burnt in your mind from an early age? Yeah, and I still kind of search those out. Like I'm all about trying to keep having those experiences. I like to try and keep myself... Uh, as connected to like nature as I can, so when I do go into classrooms, I kind of not, I'm kind of trying to bring that, trying to bring that in, try to be authentic with kids. Um, I don't just keep them in cages and you know uh, have animals. I probably I go out and try to you know experience them for myself in in the wild and like my interest in cap- photography sort of takes me there too, like you know, capturing an animal in its environment. Um, yeah, and it, yeah, I think you can't beat that, and it keeps me. Um, I keep my passion alive by doing that. I mean, even recently, I went out on a boat and we're out off Torquay and some friends were fishing for some of the big tuna that come through and I jumped into the water just for a look and, you know, it was one of the most profound experiences I had in the ocean. I've got these, you know, 40, 50 kilo fish just flying past me and they all sort of barreled around me as I dove down. It was just <laughs> mind-blowing, you know, how how sort of insignificant we are in the ocean and... I don't know. With everything they talk about now, with the environment and how yeah. you know, doom and gloom, it's it's not good. I mean, but at the same time, I like to be an optimist and think that, you know, nature will find a way, and you know, hopefully, yeah. 
you know, and when you see things like that, oh. you know, like the whales, for example, biggest yeah. animal that ever <clears throat> has lived on Earth, the blue whale, is still alive today in our ocean. Yeah. So you hear about the world environment collapsing and all these things, which obviously are real issues. I still take some um, solace knowing that some of these animals, you know, there are still animals out there and flourishing. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it know. really hit home for me, like particularly seeing an animal like that in the ocean. Like you can see stuff on TV and protests and all the rest, but to see that, it really, really hits home. And then mm. you, you see the cause behind some of these protests and demonstrations. It is so yeah. important, conservation yeah. and the rest. Yeah. And the, there's a, even a Norwegian company that was trying to drill for oil off the coast of Victoria. That's all been canned because yeah. of some of the action that the locals have taken along the surf coast, right mm. along the surf coast mm. and up into South Australia. So yeah. those causes can be effective. So getting back to some of your passions, so diving, photography, obviously surfing is a big one. I was scrolling through your Instagram before we got here and I see a picture with the, with the great man, Kelly Slater. Oh, yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what happened that day? It was a photo of you and Kelly. Yeah. yeah just sort of, kind of arm bailed, in arm, mates. Bailed him up. Made <laughs> him look like he's my mate. <laughs> uh, yeah, just, it was after Bells and uh, we was just surfing Winky and he's paddled out there with uh, another local fella. Um, and yeah, it was quite surreal, really. As a kid, you watch him on TV, and I'd posters of him in my room, and yeah, watched him shredding. Yeah, it was great. I mean, he'd catch. It was a little bit of a moment there. But he'd get a wave, and then I'd get a wave, and I'd be surfing along and thinking he's paddling back up, probably watching me, thinking, <laughs> <laughs> try and be cool, Zave, you know. <laughs> and then I'd try and catch up to him so I could paddle past and say g'day, but he's just too fast. Could never get near him. <laughs> So in the car park afterwards, you know, I um, was actually really nervous because I felt like a bit of a... You know, like a little grom. Yeah, a little grom. And it just felt a bit like a bit of a tool, you know, hassling. <laughs> but I went up to the chap who was with me and I said, oh, do you reckon he'd mind if I asked him for a photo? And like, you can tell, he gets it all the time. Yeah. So I felt a bit bad, but I never, I thought, I'd never get this opportunity again. Yeah. I wanted to show me kids, you yeah. know, because I've, you know, told me kids all that Kelly Slater. And so, yeah, fouled him up. And he was actually a really, really great guy, really... Really accommodating, made me, made me feel quite comfortable actually, and talked a little bit about crocodiles. So I told him what I did, and and uh, and he's like, "Yeah, you're gonna, t- you're gonna take your photo now, right?" <laughs> like, yeah, right. So when are you leaving? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. it's a great photo, and oh, he seems like a pretty down-to-earth guy from his videos, and Australia is pretty much a second home for him as well, isn't it? So I think so. I think he's here a bit. I don't know a great deal about the bloke apart from his surfing, and you know, I know that he does seem like, like you say, pretty. Down to earth guy, very very passionate about the environment and stuff too. I think. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, mm. Going back to well, I've seen he posted about the Australian bushfires. Mm. Did you um, did you have like he was saying there was a photo of the um, kangaroo yeah. being burnt or something. Yeah, so he posted yeah. something about that. But that just got me thinking. What about the bushfires this year? Like, were you involved in um, looking after some animals, or did you have any friends that? No, no, we we didn't. I mean, we raised some money for mm-hmm. um, through some of the bookings we were taking. We sort of donated. Uh, I think it was a month. We had a thing running where um, ten dollars from each of our shows booked or ran in that month. We donated to uh, Wildlife Victoria and Wildlife New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had a friend actually wanted to go. He, he went up there and actually volunteered. He took his truck and his bobcat and went up there and did some work. And I was going to go with him, but it just turned out we had other things on. I couldn't go. Yep. Um, it was really great to see people yeah. pulling together and doing what they could. We couldn't take animals on here. We already have a lot. I've got a lot yeah. on my hands. I mean, 
uh, and we're not really set up as a uh, rehabilitation sanctuary as such. So mm-hmm. um, we didn't take any on, but we tried to donate yeah, a little bit no, of money where we could. Yeah, that's good, raising money for yeah. it. Yeah, definitely. I hope it went to the, where it was supposed to, though. That was yeah. another thing, <laughs> wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, some really good causes happening during the bushfire crisis. There's been such a an epic year, hasn't it, 2020? To think, oh. like we have, we've had bushfires, Corona, uh, the protests recently with the Black Lives Matter. It's just seems like a never-ending series of problems. But one thing that seems to be happening is people are coming together as a community and really getting behind each other, which is great to see. Yeah, I think, and I was saying to Madeline this even last night. I mean, you got to take the positives from anything that happens and there's I mean we're very lucky here I just feel so lucky that you know we are in Australia and we we do have what we have and we're able to you know live the lives we live in the way we do in all this crisis but um yeah it's slowing down and spending time with the family and kids and yeah. checking what's important and um yeah it's been a real kind of uh eye-opener and an inspiration to sort of reset a little bit and sort of re rejig priorities and you know how you want to live your life and do things yeah it's definitely been a time for reflection that's for sure and we've spoken a little bit about inspiration obviously your family's a big supporter of what you do and what's well, a family business basically isn't it so your kids get involved with what you do yeah yeah the boys i mean they'd rather play lego a lot of the time <laughs> than come and help me feed the animals now there's a few particular things i love to do they love feeding the frogs and the owls, as we'll see later on. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they love nature because I'm sort of drilling it into them. But I, I think all kids do, you know. All, yeah. kids, all kids are connected to nature sort of naturally. I think you sort of grow out of that, if anything. But, no, my boys, um, yeah, basically my life, you know, as, as people with the kids would know, you just begin your life. I don't know what I did before kids. <laughs> you sort of can't remember that. But um, what did my boy ask me the other day, though? He did say, he goes, Dad, do you love me more than surfing? <laughs> so I had to reassure him there. Went, yes, mate. <laughs> of course I do. Hesitation. It's <laughs> like, yeah. so oh, I just stop and think. Do I surf too much? Maybe. And, uh, is that giving you an idea. Depends if it's off offshore. And yeah, yeah. Six foot twelve. Funny. But look, yeah. I mean, with the wild kids vids, we started the YouTube thing. That was um, a way for them to be involved in something. And look, I guess for me too, uh, it made it easier for me because I was always wanting to do something video-y and online, you know, and I'd been involved in sort of a, a TV production in the past with it, mm. where I used to work, and actually it was a bit of a negative, a lot of negatives came out of that. I was sort of like, oh, so I was a bit apprehensive about doing it and how I'd go about doing it legitimately and actually not trying to be fake and doing it for the wrong reasons and stuff. So the kids helped me. I go, yeah. make some videos with me kids. Yeah. You know they're pure as it, as you know as anything, so they really helped drive that. So it was great to do it with them. Yeah, so that channel's yeah. still going on YouTube. Yeah, I'm a bit behind. I've got to do it now. I was trying to do an ep- episode a week, yeah. uh, but I've fallen behind a little bit trying to gear up now that things are uh, looking like they could be opening up soon. So we're trying to get some things in place and prepare. So, but yes, yeah, so I'm going to continue doing it. I want to try and continue doing one every week, a couple of weeks. Um, one of my staff member, he had to go back to South Australia and he's currently over there with his family. But when he gets back, don't know when exactly, he's um, got, going to make an episode as well. So he's been oh, over cool. there and he's done some diving. So he's going to mm-hmm. do a little episode about something, which is going to be exciting. Yep. Um, yeah, and trying to find new content. But it's sort of endless. We're going to keep building on it and see yeah. where it goes. Yeah. 
So revenue for now, it's just getting out to schools and you get paid by schools to educate the kids on yeah, yeah, that's wildlife it. and conservation. And that's it. We've got programs in schools and kinders. We do events. Obviously, there's none of that going on, and that probably won't go on for quite a while. So we might be employed by a, a festival or a school fete or a promotional day to come along and exhibit some native animals. Uh, do like stage presentations and stuff about them. Yep. But that's not happening. But yeah, at the moment... There's none of that. So we've had to try to offer all those, you know, our programs online a little bit. Uh, we did set up a sponsorship uh, initiative where, because, I mean, for us, we weren't even able to get any of those. Uh, the, the government released a whole bunch of money for zoos. Oh, yeah. But uh, we did not qualify for that because we're not um, in the zoo association, you know, government association there. So a lot of people that do what I do sort of fell through the cracks there. So we didn't get any uh, funding from that. So we've had to try and you know, keep everything running. There's a lot of mouths to feed, a lot of expenses running this business. And I think uh, gets forgotten a little bit. Yeah, looking after, I mean, our electricity bills are crazy yeah. because all the reptiles, you might've seen that reptile room, they're all got to be heated and yeah. filtered the water and everything. So we have a sponsorship program. The idea was have a list of animals. People could pick one. We sort of worked out what that animal would cost to feed for a month. Yeah. And we're offered it to people to then sponsor the animal monthly. Uh, and once that animal is sponsored, cross off the list, that person gets exclusive sort of sponsorship of that animal. Yeah. Sure. And then at the end uh, of all this, and we're at, which is coming up now, we're due to sort of invite some people out. They get a personal uh, tour here so they can come out with their family. And uh, so I know some of our local guys were fantastic. Local community here has been unreal. And if, you know, friends even. It wasn't my intention to have friends sort of sponsor because they can they come here anyway, you know. Yeah. So uh, that was really positive though, really, yeah. really kind of people. So they are going to come out and kids, they bought one for their kid, for example, something to look forward to. Yeah. So they get to come here and have a one-on-one encounter with a possum or a crocodile or an owl yeah. or whatever it is that they've sponsored. Are, they all, are they all sponsored now? All not all. I think there's a few left on the list, yeah. um, but most. But yeah. most are really, really yeah, impressed with how many people... Uh, jumped on yeah. and I was trying to create something I wasn't didn't, didn't want to ask for handouts as such you know so I was trying to create a product where people were getting something of value yeah um, and look the different sponsorships are different costs like the animal doesn't cost as much to feed a frog as it does the owl and so on so people could choose what sort of fit in with them or what they could accommodate uh, yeah it's a very cool initiative so all the money from the sponsorship just goes back into feeding and looking after the animals and exactly yep Preserving yep. them. Yeah. Awesome initiative. Speaking of the animals, I think it's a good time to segue into her part two. Sounds good. So we're going to have just put a pause on the podcast and Jess is shaking her boots. Like <laughs> she looks fine. She can see Ben's po- trying to divert here. <laughs> <laughs> Jess is going to hold a python and maybe... Feeds a sweat running Ben down <laughs> in the face right now, guys. Don't mention it. <laughs> so we're going to go and see a python, some salties, and we'll ask you a few more questions about inspiration and creativity and mindset and all the rest so we'll be back sure. in two seconds all right guys welcome back surf coast creators podcast xavier what is that little chihuahua barking in the background <laughs> chihuahua that's nina and she is a barking owl barking owl, owl yeah. living up to its name yeah go figure good very creative with the names aren't they <laughs> absolutely the magnificent creature mm. are they native to australia they are. They are found all around Australia except for the central parts. Critically endangered in Victoria. There's believed to be only around 30 breeding pairs left in the wild in Victoria. Only 30? Only 30 breeding pairs around that, so maybe 60 birds in the wild. Okay. 
Yep. Are you braiding here? Hoping to. Yep. Yeah, that's Nina has been hand reared and she comes out to schools as an educational ambassador, you know, so she's great. And uh, we've just got a boyfriend for her uh, earlier this year. Oh, yeah, Nino. Nino? And they don't, to be honest, I don't know if they're really hitting it off. <laughs> <laughs> Nino, just for our listeners, Nino is off in the corner of the cage. It's quite a big cage, probably 15 foot length. And Nino is off in the back corner. It's got no interest whatsoever. Whereas Nina is pretty vocal. You know, I reckon we joke about it because we got Nino too because she'd do this a lot all day, all day. So we thought, oh, we'll get her a boyfriend and we'll quiet her down because she's calling for a mate. She hasn't stopped. She's driving him mad because she's just, uh, just yapping away. He's at the back going, Can I can't sleep, you know, get me, would you? Would you shut up? We had yeah. a look at his face before and his eyes are just popping out of his head. Like, please get her out of here. Well, I know, he's got this really bizarre sort of expression on his face of just shock and horror. Like, God, am I really stuck in here with you? Uh, hopefully, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some work changing some nest boxes. So, at the moment, I've got one nest box design, but if I change the nest boxes, this could promote um, them getting plucky, so to speak, and going down and hopefully... Uh, if we do breed them, though, they're not going to go into the wild. They will be bred uh, for captive populations. Yeah, it's very cool. So what, what else have you got for us in there? In like a little... Well, there's a few more, but do you want to feed this out? you want to feed it? Yeah. Because well, that, that'll keep it quiet for the next... Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Well, I've got this glove here. It's a thick leather glove for falconry, so birds of prey, because their talons are quite dangerous and sharp. So I thought if you want to put that on... Okay. I'll get Jess to hold that... Hold the microphone. And... I'm just working away. We've got it, so we're putting on a, a really hard leather glove. Yeah, thick leather glove so that she's not going to pierce your flesh with her powerful talons when she comes and lands on your okay. glove. So what we'll do is keep it like that. Oh, you're shaking. No, you're not. <laughs> That's just the three just, So I'll give you a chicken, all right? This is a little... We feed them a section of mice uh, and, and chicken. So you're going to hold that there. Is that glove thick enough? Stick. It's thick enough, buddy. <laughs> no, you'll be fine. She's gorgeous. She'll just fly out now and so land here. She comes. Oh, wow. oh, she tried to take it, but she didn't quite get it. Come on, Nina. Wiggle it round, she'll come back. Here she comes. She's got it. Oh, look <laughs> at that. That is nuts. <laughs> she, she, she swooped in and just taken it. I don't think I let it go the first time. <laughs> yeah, she, well, I think she tried to steal it off you, because sometimes she was land, but then people she doesn't know, she sometimes just tries to take it without landing, so she yeah. sort of tried to just take it off you. But So she's a bit weary of me. Yeah, you did well, mate. It's... Well, that was pretty cool. Yeah, you might remember that, like the whale experience, you know. Yeah. There you go, the time you fed a barking owl. <laughs> Two nature experiences in, in 24 hours. Yeah, Jess, you want to go? You can feed the next one. Yeah, sounds good. Yep. yep. Cool. All right, Jess, we're going to head on to the next animal. The next so... owl. Do you want to feed another owl quickly? Yeah, we'll feed another owl. All right. So Damn. these owls, slightly different to the... There's yeah. much more... Under the radar, aren't they? Next one up. Yeah, this one, well, these are barn owls. And oh, barn owls are like the opposite of the parking owl and the fact that they're in they're, they're endemic. They're found all over the, the world and they're very common. Some places their populations are reduced, but generally speaking here in Australia, they're, they're, they're abundant. They're, there's many of them around. So that's Alba. Alba. And that's Jessica. <laughs> Jessica so, Alba. You know, Jessica and Alba. Yeah, just for our listeners again, they've got a big white face, so totally different complexion mm. to the barking owl. And it's like something like it's it's like it's out of Lord of the Rings or something yeah, like that. Harry Potter owl. Yeah. The kids often say. Is yeah, that, is that the Harry Potter owl. 
Hedwig. Yeah. <laughs> so if you've watched Harry Potter before, it'll give you a good impression. They're the classic owl face. I mean, this is a type of masked owl. You can see why, like you described, they've got that mask-shaped face, whereas Nina the Barking Owl is a hawk owl. So she had that more sort of pronounced beak. Yep. Yeah. All right, Jess is going to... here you go. Here's the Jess's glove. turn. All right. So what are we feeding the owls here? Uh, this one, we're giving another chicken to 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 the owl. I'll take a chicken. Hold the leg. Thanks, Jess. They love their chicken. Yeah, it'll leg. take it off. Yeah, it should just... Yeah, once it grabs it, you can let it go. Oh, so you can feel it's grabbed it. Whoa! <laughs> it's yeah. a bit more steady. Like, a bit more comfortable. Yep. That's yep. crazy. Albert probably does the most um, mobile shows with us. She comes out quite regularly. Okay. So, so do, kids, do kids hold them? Mm -hmm. Do that. They don't wear the glove. Yep. I'll wear the glove because yep. it's part of my licensing that I have to be in control of them at all times. But kids can get right up close and even give them a little sneaky pat on the feathers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's you, watching the faces of kids when they, yeah. when they have that awesome. experience is pretty mind blowing. Because I mean, you don't see owls, let alone no. touch one or get that close to them. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was magnificent. So that, that's the owls. Mm -hmm. What will we see next? What are you thinking? We've got little possums behind us here. Little ringtail possum? Yeah, or the little um, squirrel gliding possum. Yeah, we'll have a look at those. Little glider's gorgeous. I think Jess is going to love this one. You too, Ben. It's a really cute little possum. The squirrel glider. So the, this is another endangered species, sadly, in Victoria. So it's with animals today, except for, you know, your, your domestic cat and dog, a lot of animals in Australia are endangered species now. Yeah, sadly, Australia has one of the worst mammal extinction records any country in the world. So, so we came here and... Yeah, sadly, out. yeah, we've just got such unique and what they call them critical weight range, so small mammals, so animals that are susceptible uh, to predation by introduced pests, such as cats. I mean, cats uh, have a huge problem for native animals. You can see this little possum, she's gorgeous, only small little critter. Oh, absolutely and superb. very vulnerable to a cat. Uh, I mean, we've got wild sugar gliders living on the property here, and you get them in Torquay, and cats are a big problem for them. Really soft, little fine fur coat. She wants to jump. She wants to jump. She's going to jump back into. Going to jump back into the cage. Yeah. Going to do it. She going to do it. Oh, no. Too high. She's assessing. Oh wow. Yeah, she's, oh, she's reached right out, didn't she? They're pretty agile, aren't they? Straight oh. back into the. They can glide. Box. Glide up to 100 meters. Really? Yeah, 50, 50, 100 meters. Yeah, it's a few unsubstantiated record uh, 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 accounts of them gliding 100 metres, but yeah, 50 Gosh. to 100 metres, pretty impressive for a small little creature. That Squirrel one there. Gliding yeah, possum. yeah, and they're largely insectivorous and nectivorous, so mostly eating flowers and insects. Yep. But again, uh, hollows are uh, essential habitat for these animals, so uh, loss of habitat is the other big issue for them. So people cutting down old dead trees, we think they don't need them, but yeah, it can take 300 years for a hollow in a tree to form. So you cut that down, that's it. It's gone for centuries. So yeah. All right. We'll just a bit put a quick pause on the mm -hmm. podcast, and then we'll come. We're gonna move to the next cage. Next, next uh, zone. Next Animal zone. zone. <laughs> yeah, cool. Cage is the wrong terminology. <laughs> yeah. the, the way you've done these, it's it's a natural habitat for them, isn't it? Yeah, we try and give our animals as much space and and and, and natural space as possible. So these are all planted yeah. aviaries. Uh, with natives and um, yeah, or however the next room we're going to is indoors because yep. we'll look at some reptiles and we have to temperature control those environments because some of the reptiles we keep are from northern parts of Australia and other parts of this country so the climate here is just not ideal all year round so we keep them inside. 
Okay, we'll go and have a look. Welcome back, guys. We just moved into the next zone at Wildlife Exposure. So, Xavier, can you give us a quick rundown of what we're looking at here? I can see very clearly what we're looking at, but <laughs> yeah. maybe use the description. A room of... That's my wall of snakes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this That's is... the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is um, yeah, a temperature-controlled reptile room. Uh, this is actually new. We, we only built this uh, about 12 months ago. So it's fantastic. We've got this, you know, very um, sustainable temperature-controlled room. You know, all the animals are comfortable. And here we've got a whole range of different pythons. We've got turtles. We've got crocodiles. We've got lizards. Yeah, all in this space. Yeah, it is quite warm in here. So this is mimicking the tropical rainforest in Queensland. Yep. Northern Australia. What do we got? We got it says here 20 degrees, 66% uh, humidity. Yeah, it doesn't really get above 25 in here, which is important as well. So as much as it's important to keep them warm, if they get too warm, that's not good. So on those really hot days, you know, we've got air conditioners, you need to keep it all very comfortable for the animals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we're looking directly at a sea... Is it a turtle? It is a turtle, yeah. Yeah, she's a, a Mary River turtle. That's Mary. We're creative with her names. She's between 50 and 60 years old, I've been wow. told. So she's the oldest animal we have here. So that's like Nana. Yeah, yeah, Nana turtle. And she's uh, another endangered species. Uh, sadly, the Mary River turtles are one of Australia's one of Australia's most endangered turtle species. Um, Magnificent-looking yeah, creature. She's a ripper. So she's a big girl and one of Australia's largest freshwater turtles as well. I'm trying to get some photos up uh, to support the podcast as well on social media. So watch out for the photos on social. But just a beautiful creature, aren't they? Yep. She does this cool thing. It's fun for people at home listening. Uh, little turtle fact: she can breathe through her bottom. Really? Yeah, <laughs> like that. Yeah, not like you do, Ben. No, no. <laughs> breathing up. Yeah. <laughs> so they soak up water, absorb the water into their uh, cloaca, and then absorb oxygen right. that's in the water. Yeah, okay. into their bodies. It's a pretty remarkable thing. Are they the only animal that does that? No, there are others that yeah, can absorb oxygen from water. I mean, fish do it famously with their gills, but yeah, all turtles do it in some degree, and the Mary River turtles are really good at it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. then she can stay underwater for a long, long periods of time. Is she the only, is she the only turtle with those long claws? claws? No, it's interesting you ask, because all freshwater turtles have claws, oh. whereas ocean turtles have the flippers you're thinking of, yeah, yeah? yeah? So that's a good way to determine the difference between a freshwater turtle and an ocean turtle uh, are their, their feet. So web feet for freshwater, flippers for ocean. There's one exception to that rule, but... Yeah. Yeah, pig-nosed turtle, but yeah. Uh, and we only have turtles in Australia, so not tortoises. Yeah, tortoises are the land ones, big clumpy feet. Yeah. Yeah. All right, the suspense All right. is killing me. It's hold a snake. I keep staring at these snakes, so... <laughs> Jess looks keen, actually. Look at her. She's ready to go. Jess is, Jess yeah. is spider. Which one would you like the giant? We've got giant olive pythons here. and they, I reckon the, Ace is probably our biggest, and he's around three metres. Ace looks good. Yeah, and then there's Nagini. He's moving, or she's moving a lot. I think Ace is due to shed soon, so we might leave him alone. When they're shedding their skin, it's a process, so they're not as comfortable yeah. with their skin. So I might take out Nagini. I know Nagini just shed recently. Nagini is our heaviest snake, so Nagini is probably about 15 kilos. Cool. Now, before I do get the snake out, I am going to use this here. Sorry, uh, Ben, I'm just going to grab just this. Gonna... 
try and get this on video, so. Cool. I'm just using this to stop the snake from thinking I'm feeding it, because when you open an enclosure here, the snakes sometimes get food put in. So I'm just letting the snake know I'm not feeding it, I'm patting it. So I'm just going to pat it a little bit here, it turns off that feeding response. We don't want to get a giant python latched onto us here. Wow, we. And we can get big Nagini out. Alright, oh. so we're getting this on video, folks. So you'll, you'll be able to see this on social media. <laughs> Alright. So this is, you just be a tree, wow. okay? And I'll just put it over your shoulder. Oh. How's the weight? Huge. Huge, yeah. So this is an olive python. And just take this hand, just support the snake's body there, and you've got it. You take the weight of it. Whoa! Do you reckon it knows I'm scared? No, you don't look scared. I think people the way people behave when they're scared, that's what animals react to. But you look, you're very calm there. So how, how heavy is this? Oh, look, I haven't weighed this snake in a long time, but I'd say close to 15 kilos. 15 kilo? Yeah, and they can get up to 60 whopping snakes. I mean, this snake, uh, we feed a rat every sort of week or every second week, and if you leave, they need a whole rabbit. So this will eat a, a whole... A whole little, rabbit? A whole rabbit. Not live, yeah, of course. So we. Get, no, it won't eat you, you're right. So he's got a tiny little head, and mm. if I saw that in the bush, to be honest, I'd be out of there pretty quick. So how do you tell the difference between your non-venomous and your venomous? Look, um, over a podcast, I wouldn't want to sort of give the wrong information. Really, any snake you see, you should probably treat it like a venomous snake if you're not knowledgeable about snakes, basically. So it takes a little bit of experience to sort of identify uh, python. Uh, but it's squeezing a bit, is it? Yeah. You're right? <laughs> You'll be fine. Because I'm moving this snake a little that? bit, it's trying to hang on to you. So it's giving you a bit of a hug. And your neck's nice and warm, you see, and the snake's yes. cold-blooded. So it's trying to warm its body by giving you a bit of a <laughs> around the neck. You'll be fine. You're fine. You're fine. Yeah, fine. You're fine. Stop laughing. You're fine, Jess. You're fine. Okay. okay. So, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I mean, Jess is being strangled as we speak. There's a famous bit of mantra, you know, only good snake is a dead snake, and I'm strongly against that. I mean, snakes play a vital role in the environment, even venomous snakes, and you're not going to get bitten by a snake if you leave it alone. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. And if you're aware that it's there, we've we probably got snakes on our property, and my biggest concern is my young children, but obviously, you know, I educate them yeah. about being wary and cautious and, you know, um, and hopefully we can all coexist. Okay, you've had enough. No, no. <laughs> Relax when I held that Yeah. I'm just helping a little bit because it's so long and this room it's a bit small so we don't want so it to slip. If it gets its head around something, it's hard to then yeah. get it back. Use that hand now, Jess, over here. It's one thing that really strikes yeah. me is Take they look backwards. This they look good. really muscular. That's it. Oh yeah. Yeah. About 220 stomach muscles in a snake's tummy. No, you're doing fine. Just open your hands and relax. Just don't actually squeeze the snake, but just support. as it moves, just let it go. He wants to go behind your shoulder. You're right. You're right. You trust me? You're smiling. You're still smiling. You're good. Now, just trying to balance its weight. You see how it's trying to move? To, and then it's over here, just to sort of balance its weight. I just want to try and get a photo of that. Looks... I like your hands. You just sort of got this, like... <laughs> you <so>. freeze! <laughs> just, yeah. You can relax. Relax your hands down. You're fine. I don't know what to do. I know, I know. It has that. But now he's sort of balanced himself. You don't have to hold him. He's going to hold you. Very natural. Yeah, very natural. Ben's next. Oh, Jess, we've got to go. <laughs> no time for the to podcast is finished. <laughs> No time for me to we're hold it. We've got to stick to the time limit. Oh, oh sorry, mate. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're all right. Just got a snake in all the right. face. If you just stay there, Jess, take a step towards me. We'll get my big friend to slither in. We'll what? make it better. Different one to hold. What a beautiful animal yeah, that just was. Slide, slide. I'll just tickle it a bit and then we feel it wriggle off. So he's going back into his little apartment in there. There you go, big fella. 
So is it warmer inside his little area again? 27 degrees in there at the moment, it says there. 27. Yeah, and it's got a thermostat, so it turns the lights on and off depending on making sure he's comfortable. The other end of the enclosure will probably be about 25 degrees. So allowing that snake to move around and stay, stay comfortable. So they're yeah. just so gentle, like hmm. he's really non-aggressive. Nah. No, I mean, all our animals are obviously amenable to be handled, so they're being handled and they feel comfortable with people, so they're not stressed or upset by us handling them. Some of them, are, I think, quite enjoy the interaction because they're so used to it. It's just their normal... Yeah. And you're allowed to have venomous snakes on site? We can. We can have them, although for the work that we do, we don't really see the, the need in it. I mean, I like to be able to give kids that, uh, the ability to touch and hold the snake to sort of try to... Uh, allay any fears and try to empower them to feel comfortable so we use pythons because you can do that yeah um, and you know uh, the venomous snakes are good to see I guess but again you asked before how do you identify a venomous one and a python yeah it's very difficult you couldn't give kids all the information they need to identify a venomous snake just by one glimpse you know and so we just work with the pythons and just tell kids snake safety general rule leave them alone yeah yeah so ever been <coughs> Is a python ever likely to, you know, take a bite, just Look, out of curiosity? <coughs> excuse me, yeah, I mean, uh, wild snakes, definitely. If they're yeah, approached, they'll, they'll all strike out if they're cornered. They obviously want to run, slither away first. I was going to say run away. Slither away first, but if uh, cornered, they will try and bite. And even my snakes, if, you know, uh, I'm feeding them especially, if they think there's food coming, they just strike at anything. Mm -hmm. yep. So that's why before when I got the snake out, I gave it a little pat first to oh. sort of turn off that feeding response, thinking that, there's food coming. Yep. Yeah. We've got hundreds of little teeth, so you don't want to get bitten. Yeah, right. So they, and when they snap, they snap fast, don't they? Super quick. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's their, basically their number one way of catching their prey is just to strike quickly. They're ambush predators a lot of the time, so sitting, waiting, animal gets past. They've only got that moment that they can catch it, so boom. Yep. All right, so we're going to grab another one out, yeah, are we? Ben. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about this one down Can't here? Can't believe I just volunteered. The one that looks venomous, you mentioned yeah. before. Yeah, the one that, with the black yeah. head. Yeah, looks... the black-headed python. What, one of my favourite Australian snakes. Uh, and again, I was going to give a little pat, just so it turns off that feeding response. And this is a beautiful snake from the northern parts of Australia. Anywhere past the Tropic of Capricorn, you find these pythons. Hey, Ben, if you stay down on that side next to the tank for me, mate. Thanks, buddy. It's a bit easier. And I can get it over your shoulder. There you are. It actually matches your jumper you got on today. Oh, Very colour coordinated. Oh, there, mate. Oh. Yeah, that's it. You don't have to do anything. Just sit there. Just stand. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you look wow. a bit more nervous than Jess, mate. <laughs> you right? Just a feeling. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. gosh. Yeah. It's a really good colour with the jumper. I'm not yeah, making this really up. Matches, it looks, yeah, it really matches. It looks great. You could wear that, oh, wear that out. Sure. Mm. And this snake, um, look, in its range where it's found, it's a really cool snake. I mean, Steve Irwin, you mentioned him earlier. Yeah. He um, was sometimes called the snake, the king of snakes in Australia because it eats other snakes. Right. So in the deserts where it's from, uh, it predominantly eats reptiles and even some of the most venomous snakes in the world. It'll eat them for breakfast. So that's he, she? This is a he. This is Jasper. Jasper. Yeah, Jasper. Just such a strange feeling having a snake on your shoulders. It is weird, isn't it? No, they're not slimy, like people say, are they? Not slimy, dry, no. smooth, very clean animals. Yeah, they really are clean. So it's polished. And... The skin is keratin like your fingernails or hair, so it's just covered in keratin yeah. to protect them and help them to slide around their environment. Oh, also good heat conductors, you know, having keratin. They're not going to get burnt when they sit in the sun. I noticed he's not really constricting like the other snake. This snake is more of a burrowing snake, ground dweller, more terrestrial. 
The olive pipen is terrestrial also, but it just has a lot more muscular. You know, a lot more muscular. And also, if you notice, it was trying to support itself because yeah. it's so big. Yeah. So it had to sort of hang on to you, so squeeze yeah. a little bit. Whereas this snake, not being that as big. And just so you the the reach on that. What's that? Strong bed? Strong? It's like <laughs> <laughs> it's coming up. It's going to come to your face, then, wasn't it? You was like, what? Just the, the way it was extending there. It was about a foot that was reaching out. Yeah. Yeah, all that musculation. They're really strong. I mean, uh, like I said before, 220 stomach muscles. They've got more bones than any animal. Um, yeah. And uh, some of the other snakes I have up the top here, the carpet pythons, they're even more uh, muscular in the way they wrap and grip because they're climbing snakes. So Jasper's a bit more smooth. Yeah, he's, he's a ground dweller, so he doesn't have that same musculation. Yeah. Muscular dexterity, I can talk, to allow him to sort of climb trees, wrap trees and things. Yeah, he can't climb, but generally no, he's on the ground. Not sure where he's gone there. He's going, oh, yeah, he's going in your pocket. There. <laughs> I think that was a little yeah. nip on my yeah. No, no. <laughs> just touched. Yeah, he's a, just a and none of our snakes bite. Just uh, Ben. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if you smell oh, like a crazy. rat, you know, if you smell like a rat, you're in trouble. I think he's gone into a back pocket now. But I'm gonna keep my eye on the snake to see it doesn't. Now, some have a tendency to like go up your jumper or like yeah. tuck in your shirt or yeah, down your pants. Or <laughs> it's happened. It's, ha- it's happened. Oh look, there he is. <laughs> Coming out the front. Oh. So he's um, probably a little bit curious about that turtle in the tank next to us, is he? No, I don't know so much. Uh, their eyesight isn't great. They rely more on their sense of smell, and I think it's just trying to find somewhere to get comfortable and using your body to support itself. Yep. So he's sort of searching around, somewhere to sit. There you go. Now he's found, you know, he's balanced his weight. It's just like holding a baby. Yeah, sure. So they, is it, you know, there's a big myth mm. that, um, you know, if you clap and cheer and dance around and snakes will disappear, but they only respond to vibration. Yeah, right? yeah, well, that's true. I mean, sounds make vibrations, so there is some truth to that. I mean, if you stamp your feet, make noises, snakes can feel the vibrations and they will go away. In some ways, they're quite sensitive to sound for that very reason. They don't have to actually hear it, but they sense it, they feel it, you know. So they have like an inner ear. They just don't have that external ear that we we would associate with an ear, but they do have it internally. So okay. they can pick up, like you say, the vibrations, yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful creature. I love that black head. It just looks like it's been painted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Starting to constrict. You right? I want it coming towards you. No. Likes chess. Yeah, it does, yeah. Look at somebody climb. And that tongue flicking out is the smell, yeah. so it's tasting the air, uh, trying to understand what's going on around it. That is crazy. Just, it's like a, it's therapeutic. I think so. People have often said it's like a bit of a massage across the shoulders, you know, on the neck. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm gonna happily hand that back, <laughs> hand <laughs> Jasper back to you. Where's he going, okay, Beautiful mate. creature. Yeah, good boy, Jasper. And. <laughs> Well done, Ben. Oh, he's wrapping the bicep. He will wrap it the last minute because he feels like he might fall as I pick it up. So he's yeah. trying to. All right, guys. So Jasper has just gone back into his incubator. He's going to go and have a look at the dingoes just to wrap up. We'll chat to Xavier about inspiration and what inspires him, and also a bit of talk about creativity as well. All right, guys. So we've come into the dingo enclosure at the back of Xavier's magnificent place. Xavier, can you tell us a little bit about the dingoes? We've got a yeah. black one here, and you seem really friendly. This is Cinder, the black one. Yeah, Cinder's a little girl. and Cinder. We've got Khan. He's the tan dingo, and he's the male. 
And there, uh, Carmel's the first one I had, and I had him when he was like five weeks old, his little pup. He's now about 13 years old, so he's getting on as far as dingo years go. And um, he's been a great um, educator for people, to, you know, an ambassador for dingoes, because obviously there's a bit of misinformation about dingoes and, and being dangerous and things, and of course any wild animal can be, but these guys, as you can see, they're... Pretty placid. Yeah. yeah. I was going to yeah. say, the dingoes have got a bad rap in Australia. Mm. Got some history, you know, with Dingo Got My Baby and whatnot mm-hmm. and all the mysteries around that. But these guys seem pretty placid, so obviously being tamed and, and whatnot. But dingoes in Australia, endangered species again? Yeah, yeah, they are. They're, um, there's a lot of, again, misinformation and um, misunderstood exactly exactly how many pure dingoes are left in the wild. Um, but they're largely being sort of outbred by wild dogs so wild dogs breed with dingoes and then the pure dingo genes are weakened uh, but again they're also hunted so dingoes are actually um, a pest I guess for you could say for, for, for farming and sheep farming in particular so just the same way the Tasmanian tiger was wiped out in Tasmania because it was a problem for agriculture uh, so is the dingo basically being wiped out in Australia so it's very don't get me started on dingoes. I could yeah. talk about dingoes like that's a whole other podcast, mate. We yeah. should just do one. I've got Part some, I've got some names I can give you to speak to people because I mean, it's 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 a really I'm very passionate about it because they're like our lion. Okay, yeah. if you think of the lions in Africa, how would how would we respond to them being culled? I mean, these are our native apex predators, biggest predator on the mainland of Australia, and they're really vital for the balance of our of our eco, ecosystems. So. So how do you tell the difference between a dingo and your regular dog? I mean, if I saw these guys down at mm. Salty Dog Cafe... Yeah, they get down there sometimes. Um, how, how do you <laughs> tell the difference? Yeah, look, I mean, all dogs would have once looked like this. So all the different breeds that we have, you know, they all once looked like this. You know, this is basically nature's design. You yep. know, nature's design. And the uh, dingoes have white socks. So they've got little white paws, generally. They've got a longer snout. Their ears can move around quite independently you can sort of see that they can move well he's not doing it now but they can face them backwards forwards they've got very um maneuverable ears very pointy they've also got big fluffy tail they've got some skeletal differences that you won't really see uh they're bigger muscles and bones in their skull to allow them to crush things they've got longer canine teeth than dogs like a little bit longer yep help them catch their prey so if dogs come from dingo in this species mm. so mm. this is kind of evolution paused momentarily mm. you could say yeah well evolution is always changing but definitely these these guys um have uh, been in australia now they've got ev- new evidence showing probably you know eight thousand or more years uh, oldest fossil evidence is like five and a half thousand years old yep so i don't know how long you got to be here to be an australian but uh, <laughs> some parts yeah. of australia considered a pest animal yeah, right. so people would argue they've been introduced to australia you know came here from Oh, northern right. parts from seafarers or yeah, Asian um, Asian seafarers brought them here, what have you. But uh, new evidence shows Aboriginal cave paintings, you know. They're, 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 I don't know how they date those things, but they do. And, you know, yeah. dating back way, way, way earlier. When possibly the land was connected, you know. There yep. was a land bridge between here and... Yep, Gondwana land yes. back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it's magnificent. So... We touched on a little bit of inspiration there before, so you got your surfing, your photography and other things to keep you active. Who in this world, obviously close to your family, um, built something, a really great business out of your passion. So who 
inspires you in this world? It's a tricky one because there's, there's, I take a lot of, I've taken inspiration for lots of different little places and um, yeah, I mean, nature itself and the environment and, you know, what we're dealing with uh, at the moment is probably my biggest inspiration. But as for people, I mean, anyone that's followed their passion or had some sort of, um, uh, um, done some sort of work with trying to inspire people to, you know, protect the environment, protect and, 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 and value nature, value animals. I mean, David Attenborough, can't go past that bloke. Can yep. you? He's, he's a standout as a kid. I still watch all his tacos. We're going through Oceans 2 at the moment with the kids yeah. every night, watch an episode. Have you got a good David Attenborough impersonation? <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, <laughs> there's a species now. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we all do, don't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I went and sp- saw him talk uh, a couple of years ago when he came out here and yeah, I think what he's done uh, to raise awareness to uh, the plight of the environment and animals is, yeah, you can't really beat that. But then all the work that, you know, conservation groups do and, um, you know, people out there in the field that probably are not overly known or recognised, I have a lot of admiration for those people and, and you know, they inspire me to sort of do what I do, I guess. Yep. So, guys, just hard at it, under the radar. Yeah, yeah. Look, you know, I'm. I always want to be, a, you know, work in the field and possibly do something of that nature, or photog- photography and filmmaking and that sort of stuff with nature. That's what. But it's sort of, I found this to be my skill set. I found myself talking yep. to people was something I was good at, and um, handling animals is something I had a look, you know, have been had a lot of experience with. So this is my lot. This is my thing. So this is yeah. what I can do, and I feel very privileged that I'm able to sh- share my passion as a job. You know, be able to. Yeah, be a big kid every day and take animals to schools and kinders. And and one thing I say to people too, I mean, I got into it because I love animals and, I, you know, nature inspires me and everything, and that's still true to this day. But the work I do now, I find meeting kids and the, you know, the response I get from those kids and things they ask me or say, and I think about the future of the world, and that's, that's yeah. them, isn't it? So yeah. I feel uh, that's what keeps me going, you know, working with the kids and meeting those kids. Yeah, it's a very, very cool business that you've built and lifestyle and it's not really about the business, is it? It's kind of the way you live and you've built something on the back of it. So one question, mm. big question we like to ask on the podcast is regarding creativity and uh, nature versus nurture. So do you believe that creativity, obviously there's a lot of creativity in your business and what you do day to day. Do you believe creativity is something you're born with or do you believe it is something that can be nurtured? I think it's both, isn't it? I mean, some people have are born with an innate ability to create. But I think we all we all have it. Some have yeah. more of it, maybe, and uh, definitely can be nurtured. So I I'd agree with both. I think you can have some people have more of it naturally, and some others don't. But everyone has it. Everyone has it. And I think uh, trying to uh, push yourself a little bit sometimes, you know, outside of your comfort zone and keep an open mind is, is what, you know, inspires, can inspire new thinking and new creative ideas. So, yeah, don't ever just be too decided, I think, yep. is what I'll try and keep open-minded. So that'd be your advice for, your number one piece of advice for oh, people yeah. who've got a passion project, yep. maybe they want to turn it into a business, maybe they just want to keep it as a project, passion project, outside of your regular nine-to-five work. 
do it yeah do it yeah passion have passion in your passion that's like you know you could you'd be passionate about something but if you truly are then you want to live it don't you so yeah. like you're saying my lifestyle now i feel like i'm sort of living it you know i want to learn about a crab i'll go dive with it and see it and experience it if i want to learn about dingoes you know i read about them but i also want to go out and speak to other people so just yeah just is just really i guess immerse yourself immerse yep. yourself in your passion and, and and do what you love and you know you can't go wrong i think well, i think very good advice really appreciate your time today we're getting up to over an hour which is just flown so where can we go and follow you on social media and keep track of your story thanks ben thanks jess yeah uh we're on at wildlifeexposure.com.au we've got a youtube channel set up wildlife exposure wild kids vids uh yeah facebook the normal places instagram i haven't gone onto tiktok yet <laughs> stayed away from that one <laughs> no crazy videos oh i actually i must have been i did do one <laughs> well, at least you tried it yeah, yeah that's it and uh yeah if anyone wants to give us a phone call through the website or his email or whatever and uh yeah we'd love to, and, love to uh, share what we do what about the Animals that you said you have a few left to sponsor. Oh, yes, Do you yes. have anywhere for that? Yeah, uh, through the website. So yeah. if you get all the socials, any any way you get a message to us, basically if you were to send us a message through Instagram or Facebook, um, we can send you a list through. Usually it comes by email, but once you've got in contact with us, we can get your email address and send something through. Yeah, very cool. Really appreciate your time today, Xavier. Fingers crossed you're back in schools and spreading your word uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah. Have you got any excursions coming up or is that all opening up? No, we don't. We've had a few birthday parties scattered here and there. I did an online frog talk the other day for Melbourne Water. Some people that want a, want a uh, private little chat with us. And um, But yeah, the sponsorship probably will be some of the first people that come back out here and we get some people coming through to... Yeah, I think the animals will love it too. I think yeah. they look at they're loving the attention because they, they they do love getting out and meeting people. Just as getting licked to Especially death. Especially the dingoes. Yeah. <laughs> Cinder. Cinder, little dingo. No, I really appreciate your time today, Xavier. Um, I think we need a part two, to be honest. Like, yeah. I don't think we've even scratched the surface of what you do here. So, well, thanks, guys. Congratulations well on your success to date, and uh, all the best for, for the remainder of 2020. Thank you. Thank. Good. So nice to meet you both, and thanks for having me on. And. I'm glad the sun came out and I could show you around yeah. a little bit and your yeah. face of fears. <laughs> I'm still shaking from that yeah, snake. Yeah. Or was it coffees? That was the coffees. Yeah, we had too many coffees. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks very much, Xavier. Thank and you. Pleasure. Catch you later. Cheers.